the path of transition and how it applies to education. Also, what the path of transition is. My name is Justin Sinceri. And I am Mercedes Corona. We are licensed marriage and family therapists obsessed with the polyvagal theory. Welcome to episode 10 of the Polyvagal Podcast. We did it. All right. I know. Congratulations. We, I'm excited because you're dancing. I don't <sighs> see you dance very much. All right. So this is <laughs> this is part of my fear now with, with you on is that you're going to expose like who I am and how awkward I am. And <laughs> now that people have someone normal to compare my voice to, that they're going to be like, no. well, who have, we, who, have we, who have we been listening to for the past like nine, ep- nine ten episodes? This guy's kind of weird in comparison to someone normal. Um, <laughs> we got a few announcements here. As you've heard in the intro... I've got somebody with me. Welcome, Mercedes. Hi, thank you. Mercedes and I are coworkers. We're going to be talking. We're going to be spending a few episodes. We don't even have this mapped out yet, but we'll be talking a, probably at least a few episodes about the polyvagal theory and how it applies to the educational environment, including inside of class and outside of class. Uh, Mercedes might stick around after that, as long as it doesn't go horribly. <laughs> I guess we'll see. <laughs> we'll find out. Yeah, we'll find out soon enough. So topic number one, Mercedes, I never actually went into, and I know you're a listener, I never actually talked about who I am, what my background is, and why people should care about what I have to say here. It's important. It's kind of important, yeah, but I never did that. One of the early versions of, I, I had recorded the first episode like three or four times, and in the very first one, I had gone into some depth into into who I am. But I figured I should probably just get to the meat of it and start talking about what the, the theory is and whatnot and kind of give people value right away. So I scrapped all that and I never came back to it. This is my chance to reintroduce myself and you you are going to introduce yourself. I know. Exciting. Mercedes and I are coworkers. And she, so she brings some direct experience. And she and I have slightly, actually pretty significantly different populations, all from the same city, same county. But I work with vast majority high schoolers. Yes, I work with primarily first through eighth graders with a, with a little sprinkle of high schoolers in there. A little sprinkle, a little sprinkle. Yeah. And I've had, so over the, I've worked at our our current placement um, for four years now. You've, what's this, like your second year? Uh, yes, yeah, finishing my second year here. And you've had the, what do you call them, littles or youngins or what do you call them? The youngins. <laughs> <laughs> I think school age is what we Oh, there you go. Them. All right. So I've had mostly high schoolers. Throughout mm-hmm. the past four years or so, um, again, a few younger ones, seventh and eighth grade, and then every now and then, even younger than that. It's it's not too frequent though. I seem to do better with the high school population, and you seem to, for some reason, really enjoy working with the little. <laughs> the you know, ones. fun fact: my preferred population to work with is actually middle schoolers and high schoolers. But they said, hey, here's the position that we've got for you. And I said, I'll take it because at the time I needed a job. <laughs> it worked out. But it worked out. <laughs> you seem to have taken to it pretty well, though. You know, the little ones are fun because you get to like get down on the ground and get dirty with them, like play some, you know, shoots and ladders. You really did. And yeah. whatnot. Yeah. So let's, let's talk a little bit, actually a lot about our experience. Um, I did have more experience working with, I don't know, five to ten, I'll say, um, at when I was working for county mental health which was right before where I'm at, where we're at right now at the public school system. Um, so I worked with pretty much all age groups there of kids in county mental health, did play therapy and sand tray. I did parenting groups. 
individual therapy with um, teenagers and little ones did play therapy. I did, um, I worked with parents a lot and family therapy. I love doing family therapy. So that was at County Mental Health. And I know you've worked for county as well. Yeah. So before, before the, where we're at now, I actually, I did a similar job where um, I worked with the school district. This was in a different county. So kind of did the same thing working in the classrooms with the, you know, the kids who have emotional issues and behavioral issues. Um, but then before, right before that, I did um, some time in the county mental health department. And yeah, lots of the same stuff. I, the bulk of my time I spent in a nonprofit agency doing outpatient therapy. And so that was lots of lots of one-on-one work with kids, but lots of family work as well. I did parenting groups also. Did you? I did. I did. I did you that. not know this? I had no idea. Yeah. And fun fact again, second fun fact of this podcast nice. episode. Wow. Right um, I speak Spanish. So I did the Spanish. It's fun. Why are you laughing? <laughs> I did the Spanish speaking parenting group. So <laughs> they had That's me awesome. do the. Yeah. Two, I was two laughing because right know. before we started this, I was thinking how awesome it would be if you did a, a Spanish translation or your own version of Yikes. episodes one through nine. So I'm, I've signed you up for that. Or episodes one through ten-ish. That I decline respectfully. <laughs> that is a whole lot of work. It's hard. It's really hard to translate. I've mentally signed you up for that, so uh, I look forward to that. Okay. I, I think we should talk about this <laughs> away from the podcast. Off the, air. <laughs> Off the air. Going back to my experience. Parenting groups in two languages. Kid groups of all ages. I actually was doing an art therapy-focused teenage depression group. Whoa. Um, yeah, very specific. <laughs> and um, also, as you know, I did um, a little bit of private practice. I had about two or three years of private practice. Did um, what did I do there? I actually had lots of couples there, lots of couples therapy there. That's something I can't see. We, you and I don't parallel there. I've never done private. Pra- well, I did. Uh, I, didn't, I haven't had my own private practice, but I worked in an outpatient mm-hmm. substance abuse program in uh, Palo Alto, which was the only time I've worked with the more affluent community um, in a pal- and so that was in Palo Alto, which is a pretty well-off area. Beyond that, I also did some, uh, for the first like four years, I think, of my young career here, I worked as a substance abuse counselor in San Jose, California. That was east side San Jose, very much different population than the more affluent Palo Alto. Yeah, a lot of gang kind of stuff, obviously with substance abuse. I did some teen groups there, a little bit of family therapy, but mostly it was a lot of group and individual kind of stuff. No parallels there for you? Uh, actually, yes. Uh, unrelated to therapy. Okay. <laughs> you said you worked in the east side of San Jose. Yeah. Um, I went to school in San Jose, Santa Clara, San Jose area. And um, one of the things I did there was I signed up to volunteer for the east side project uh-huh. through my university. So it was doing different kinds of um, volunteer work through nice. the the program was called east side project. And it was serving east side San Jose. Fantastic. Have you done Suicide and Crisis Hotline? I have not. That was so much I fun. I have not. I did that for about six months and I, I, I only stopped because I had to, I got a paying job. It was, it was volunteer. It was so much fun. I, and the, the experience and the training was pretty heavy on. It was like a 40 hour training to like get you prepared for it. And that was, it was a great experience. I, I love doing Suicide and Crisis Hotline. I think that'd be interesting to do. I think once, once I hit the lottery and I win my millions, I'll just, <laughs> I'll do that on the side. <laughs> is what I'll do. <laughs> what else? That was about it. So as far as therapy, that's 
about it. Um, I did. I, I worked for almost about six months. It was, I think, during yeah, during college. I was a. I wasn't a therapist. I was like basically a guard in a um, non-lockdown juvenile hall setting. But it wasn't a lockdown. It was called the ranch. Basically, if their offense was high enough, they would go to this non-lockdown facility at the top of a mountain in La Honda, California, a small, tiny little community. And um, yeah, I worked there as a guard slash counselor, but it wasn't really counseling. Very interesting as well. A lot of gang kind of stuff. But I got to see like the, you know, there were, were kids, but it was this really kind of like a, it was a prison slash jail sort of environment, you know? That sounds pretty hardcore. It kind of was. And uh I think I was well over my head there and didn't realize it. <laughs> <laughs> but it was it was actually And that's how you started your career in this in this field? That's yeah, just that an was, interesting place to start. You that know, was like, before I was a therapist, yeah. Yeah. I was in school. But it was oh, okay. it was fun. It was fun. Um I really enjoyed that. I worked in a bookstore while I was in school. <laughs> that's <laughs> a true story. <laughs> what was it? Borders? Borders bookstore. No longer. Oh, I love borders. Loved. Loved. R.I.P. I don't think it's around anymore. Yeah, it's not. Barnes and Noble's alive and kicking. They have a lot of uh, I know toys now, so they're still... they do. Their, and, and their Harry... Lego game is on point. Harry Potter wands. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> Harry Potter, just everything. Everything. Yeah. <laughs> any any other history we should know about with you? Way back before I did therapy, I was in a group home. I feel like that's relevant. Not I was in a group <laughs> home, but I <laughs> I worked in a group home, so that was actually. That was pre-master's um, program. So that was even before I decided I want to be a clinician. What were you doing there? In the group home? Yeah. I was, I was working in the group home. I was helping out the kids. But you weren't a therapist because you, were, you were in your... No, I was... Um, oh, I don't remember what my title was. But I was just one of the workers there. So I would just be there and spend time with the kids and, you know, creating relationships, building connections for these kids. But you were still like the frontline staff. Yeah. You were doing the yeah. whole daily routine kind of thing and, and whatnot. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was there and take them on, to, like take them to school and pick them up from school and help with homework, all that stuff. We are very rich in our experience here. I think so. And that's why we should be taken seriously. There you go. There that, you doesn't, go. that doesn't mean we're good at what we do, but I, I think <laughs> <laughs> I think we are. I think we're fantastic. I think we are. I think we are. I think you're right. Those are two separate facts. They really are. But, uh, you know, well, they live... Well, together simultaneously we'll, we'll leave it up to the dear listeners let's do that the path okay so the topic here is the path uh well it's called in the book the deb dana book it's called the path of Therapy, therapy is a, the path of therapy. Yeah. I call it the path of transition. I thought that's what she called it, but you're reading the book right now. But I think to be fair, the name of the book is the polyvagal theory in therapy. So it's very specific to the therapy environment as opposed to the school environment, which is what we're focusing on. Yeah. So I, I loved her idea of, of really, I think the basic idea was to, and she invites therapists to do so is to walk the walk that your clients would do as they go to your therapy session. Yeah. Um, to if, if, and when it's possible to walk that walk and to notice, I think my understanding is simultaneously the reactions of the client, but also 
experiencing the the stimuli for yourself. So noticing the things that the client might be noticing. But on a polyvagal level of cues of safety and or danger. Exactly. So we're taking this idea, we're borrowing it, and without Adapting getting it back. It. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're borrowing the idea and then we're applying this to the school, not just the school environment, but the path that a child could take from home to school and then in between class periods, like walking, transitioning from one period to the next or into recess or whatever, and then from school back to home. So that's kind of the level we're going to talk on is we're calling it the, I don't know, the path of school. I don't know what you want to call it, but the path of school. I like the path of transition. I like that too. Because like right. you can adapt it to anything. So right, the path of transition is what we're talking about. What I, I would, what I want teachers to do, especially, and I hope there's some new teachers listening to this, is to walk the path of transition, at least within the school environment. And as you're driving to school too, like notice, like what do you see on the way to work that your kids may be experiencing as well? And look inward and really kind of notice in your gut, in your chest, what cues of danger you may be experiencing. That's kind of the idea here. So there, there's some stuff that the school does have control over. And as you do this path of transition, it'll give you some some insight as to what may be able to be adapted. And I think there's a lot of things that teachers and principals can do and, and um, CSMs that for us, that means campus security monitor. I don't know if it's the same for all schools, but I, I think there's some easy things that can be adjusted here that don't add on time to the day, I don't think. And I think what especially this will do is to help build empathy for your students. They have some real stuff going on, obviously at home, and we don't always know about that. But then on the way to school and then in school, especially those things, you can notice that there's some real sort of triggers of danger or safety. We're going to focus on the more of the danger cues. These are just like common cues that will pretty much affect any kid that I mean, I think that's kind of what we're focusing on. And the, but the strength of their vagal break is important. We, we talk like obviously a danger cue for one kid will probably be the same for another kid or an adult, but their, their vagal break will determine how strong that cue is so the deep sound of a car engine gunning it as they drive off in a hurry for whatever reason is for one kid they can hear it and tolerate it and move on for another kid it might send them down the ladder or keep them down the ladder so but we're, i think we're, we're just sort of doing general cues but the idea here is also that these general cues even if they seem small could be big enough for a kid or a teacher or, or anyone in the environment to send them down the ladder or keep them down the ladder. I'm wondering if, if we need to be a tiny bit more specific. What we're talking about here is when we say the path of transition, we're talking about the actual steps that the students take, say from the classroom door to the cafeteria, et cetera, et cetera. So literally walking the walk with the kids or without them, if you just want to check it out and see it for yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and noticing what they're noticing and, and just following along in their path. It, it, but you're right, though, because... And I think you have to be really mindful and conscious of doing this. You can't just like walk through the school and say, yeah, I did it. You really have to be listening inward. And I do this because we, we, you and I, I don't know, you go, we go to a few different schools. But mm -hmm. over the years, you know, we've been to many different schools. And each school has its own atmosphere, its own climate, its own um, feel, you know. And you don't yeah. pick up on that unless you're really kind of mindful within yourself. And I mean, you pick up on it, but you don't realize it. So I'm asking people, we're asking people to really become more aware of how these things are affecting them. Um, yeah. And internally, you know? Yeah. And I think just, again, taking it a different, a different way, like you were saying, we've both, we've each been to different school sites, you know, over the years. 
And I think even though each school has its own culture and its own feel, at the same time, they're all similar enough to where we can kind of, you know, we're a little bit desensitized to it where it's like, you know, it's another hallway and it's another set of doors and it's another totally. cafeteria. So, but so it's definitely not. being aware, but it's not. It's true, but it's also like, the, but no, there's, there's it, specific it things. It is and it isn't. All right. So let's take a look at um, before school. All right. Well, here's the thing. I like to, I like to do a thing right. So I have three different modes of transportation. (laughs) I do because, because kids can either take the bus, they can get dropped off by someone in the car, you know, a parent. I don't want to assume it's a parent. It can be a neighbor or a, you know, sibling. That's so common. There's kids I work with that their parents aren't taking them and they have to find transportation. They have, they're like, there's, they're responsible enough. Like it's out of necessity. They have to find someone to bring them to school. Yeah. Parents aren't setting it up. They're just like, I have to get to school. Mom's not right. out of bed. Hey, neighbor. Right. And this scares the heck out of me. Like asking a neighbor or someone that's not a, you know. Like a random person. On it the almost street. feels like that. <laughs> I know. I know. So, because I was thinking, you know, they're on the bus, but not all kids are on the bus. Sometimes the experience of being in the car is different. Some kids walk to school if they are close enough. Hopefully, I have had. I've worked with some clients that are not that close to school, but they're still walking to school because like you were saying, they're going to get themselves to school because at least there they they feel somewhat safe. And so they're walking to school. So on the bus. Wait, so we got walking, getting a ride and bus. All right. Yes. What about a skateboard? What about a bike? Yeah, we can file that one under walking. Oh, okay. All right. right, Oh, yeah. We'll file that one under walking to school, getting your own self to school. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So on the bus. Um, I was thinking of things like, you know, getting on the bus. Um, I think it can be a a really almost, almost a terrifying experience to get on this enormous vehicle with all these other kids. There's all this noise level, uh, just kids talking. Is there some bullying going on, teasing, just annoying stuff. And then on top of that, the length of the ride, I, I actually was not lucky enough to ride the school bus as a kid myself. No, me neither. But... (laughs) These buses are like little microcosms of just like it's a a sociology experiment of like, (laughs) let's see, let's see what we can do to make these people go crazy. Just, you know, trapped in this vehicle for however long. It really is. So it really is. And, And meanwhile, these are kids that don't have, you know, the coping skills that that some you know, functioning adults have even nor the vagal break that are down the ladder. Yeah. Yeah. To tolerate, I know, right? Yeah, totally. The stories of the bus are horrifying. They're 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 terrifying. <sighs> yeah, I am. Um, I you know I I'm, I'm so flabbergasted, Mercedes, at um what kids are going through on the bus, like fighting. I mean, there's all these like obvious, like yeah, you're obviously in danger. Are they, do they wear seatbelts on the bus? Yes. <laughs> for those of you at home that can't air see me, <laughs> I did some air quotes. But there's so many cues just on the bus, like, where am I going to sit? Like, yeah. that, that for me, was mm-hmm. always, like, I still get anxious about where to sit mm-hmm. um, when I go to someplace new. Uh, so where, where do I sit? That's a danger cue. Mm-hmm. Am I sitting next to the bully? Obviously a danger cue. Uh, mm-hmm. Or next to someone that I'm kind of into. Might be a little, let's say, mm-hmm. down the ladder a little bit. Yeah. The sounds of the bus. Mm-hmm. How physical proximity like it's a absolutely. it's a tight space you know even just walking absolutely. down that aisle is a tight space sitting in those seats is cramped absolutely is the I'm, I, is the bus driver in a good place are they up the ladder are mm-hmm. they giving safe and social cues i don't know if they are 
I hope they are, but I don't know. Most of the bus drivers I've experienced are not, in fact. They are quite down the ladder themselves. I, there was, um, and I don't blame them. I, you know, it's for everyone on board. It's it, like you said, it's this awful sort of sociological experiment. <laughs> it really is. Of just like, it's this petri dish of just danger cues, you know? And I, I don't, I don't know. So there was one time where a bus driver dropped some kids off and they were like livid and they were basically cursing the kids out. And um, I think they called one of them an asshole. Uh, and the kids were like the bus driver calling the the kids and the the kids just you know they were teenagers who don't put up with that kind of stuff but I was super proud of them because they just like kind of laughed it off and moved on not all the kids would handle that that way that we work with you know but I was like okay they laughed it off and I'm actually that was pretty good okay this person the bus driver was not a model of appropriate behavior (laughs) and the kids I thought actually did a lot better job handling that situation but yeah the, the bus is like huge if the kids are yeah. walking into school from the bus you can assume that th- these kids are coming into school probably well down the ladder I-, I would think like they're at least in flight mode yeah I- I'm-, I'm with you all right so that's the bus yeah. how about that's the bus yeah um i got the car so in the car so at first I-, I put in my notes i put the parent is driving and you know what kind of mood are they in but it might again like we said before it might not be the parent maybe it's a sibling who, you know, like the annoying little sister just asked me to give her a ride again or the neighbor or whoever it is. So what's the mood of the driver? Are they angry? Are they tired? Are they distant? Are they engaged with the kid? Are they disengaged with the kid? You know, what what's going on with the driver's mood? Because that will impact the student. Are there other people in the car, siblings in the car? Like, give me that toy. That's my toy. You know, just all this kind of fighting down the ladder stuff. And then also, I don't know how this one sounds, but I remember as a kid thinking about this in the backseat, the skill of the driver. Are they a good oh, driver? Oh, okay. Are they a bad driver? Are they kind of speeding around and yeah. kind of like taking sharp turns and stuff? I feel like if I'm an eight-year-old kid in the backseat on my way to school, that would definitely bring me down the ladder. You know, just the literal sense of safety. How often do you see parents uh, blaring their music with the kids in the back? Yes. Do you yeah. do that? Do you or do that smoking. I... I do that, and it's always Sir Mix a lot. <laughs> Baby got back. <laughs> no, <laughs> I do not. <laughs> I do not usually blare the music. If there's a, right. some Celine on the radio, a little Celine Dion or something, something I've got to sing to. But usually, no, I'm not blaring the music. No. <laughs> yeah, I, I I see that pretty frequently, and I'm just I'm worried about those kids' little ears. Um, yeah. But yeah, smoking in the car. Yeah. Yep. Or, um, you know, not paying attention to the road or anything. Yeah, so picking up on the parents, their own, like, ladder, mm-hmm. like, their own sympathetic activity, yelling mm-hmm. at other drivers. I, you and I were on the same page here. Yelling at other drivers, or how about complaining about a teacher or another parent, or complaining about yes. whatever. Uh, yes. But, yeah, parents have to be the co-regulation. They have to be the person who's safe and social mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. the safety engage, so, uh, social engagement state. So if parents aren't there... No matter where we're at, like that's that's a problem. That's a danger cue. But in mm-hmm. the car, the kids can't escape. I think I think that's that's something important. Yes. and the bus too. Yes, there's a sense of helplessness almost. I, I don't know if that's quite the right word in this in this scenario, but th- there's not a lot of control when you're again an eight year old in the back seat or in the you know middle row of the bus. That there's just nothing you can do if things go sideways. No, not at all. Yeah, so there, there's this. Um, yeah, lack of control, but it's it's like if 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 your if mom or dad or whoever 
is like in their sympathetic flight mode, fight mode, and they're being really aggressive with how they're driving. And you're feeling that erratic driving mm-hmm. and you can't escape. That's a big, big, obviously a big cue of danger, right? Yeah. And I think if we're thinking about the different states, right? Can't flee. Can't fight. Yeah. So we're going to go into that freeze mode. And that's how we're starting our school day off. You know, finally get dropped off at school. And this is where automatically already in the freeze mode before the school day has even officially started. I I, I don't think I can disagree with you there. And they are um, hopefully in their seatbelt. But the seatbelt is they're being restrained. So it, yes. their move, their ability to move is um, they're they're being held down, which is definitely a cue of danger as well. All right, drive. We got the drive to school. We got the bus. How about um, self mode of transportation? This, uh, wa- I called it walking to school. You can also translate this into skateboarding or rollerblading if <laughs> that's how you roll. Uh, there's a pun. Did you see that? I got, I got that. Yeah, that's how you roll. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> I saw so a girl. I saw a girl outside in rollerblades today. Did you? And I'm like, what is going on here? Where are we? Yeah. This I is know. like '90s stuff. It's very early '90s. I didn't think rollerblades would ever come back. I don't know if they are. I feel like it never came in in the first place. Oh man. Well, I was. But I'm pretty sure we're super, digressing. I was super uncool. If that's true. <laughs> I had a brief stint of rollerblading around my neighborhood, but it really hurts. I look. I had a pair of rollerblades. Okay, so <laughs> you and me were in the same boat. <laughs> nice. All right, so the kids rollerblading to school. Rollerblading to school. <laughs> How far are they rollerblading? The distance, right? How far is home to school? That's a long. That's a long way. It could be a long way. Could you know, be. you get tired. You know, mm-hmm. you get thirsty. Maybe you don't have water on the way. The weather. Oh, you yeah. know, the weather is going to have an impact on. You know, is it raining? Did you remember your umbrella? You still have to walk your butt to school. Um, and then also the other thing I put down for the walking to school is the safety of the neighborhood. I, I know just oh, from man. where we work, I mean, I feel worried for my own safety inside of the car that's locked with the windows closed. So these poor kids who have to walk to school in these neighborhoods that are, let, let's call them, let's call them concerning Yeah. to be delicate. Yeah. Um, how safe is it? Uh, Do I have to worry about my life before I actually walk onto the school campus? And I know I'm safe there. So those are some of the points that I noticed on the walk to school and or rollerblade to school. (laughs) I've noticed, I don't think I've ever seen a kid rollerblade to school, by the way. I can't believe the stuff that kids would deal with on the way to walking to school. Mm -hmm. There are homeless people everywhere. Yes, everywhere. I've thought about... As I'm driving along and in the where I, as I go to the different schools, the the amount of homeless people, homeless encampments, it's like everywhere. And I see kids walking through these and coming from the I, we work with kids that are homeless. Yeah, kids walk through these homeless encampments, and it's not like I mean, there's there's all kinds of crazy stuff that goes on there. I've heard about kids finding dead bodies, um, or needles, or I mean, you know, all kinds of all the stuff that goes along with the streets here, like it is. They're, they're walking through that and really it's, you know, it's, it's flight or fight mode all the way to school and then they're coming to school and yeah, they're, they're way down the ladder. Of course, walking into school. How about that? Uh, let's see. I've got getting to school. Well, do you want to share some of yours? I don't want to. I... Oh yeah. Um, obviously how are they being greeted? That's, I mean, you know, that's, mm-hmm. that's a big one. And as we, as you and I go to different schools, there's a different feel when you walk into the gates 
or the parking mm-hmm. lot or the front desk, there's a big, big, big different. There's a huge feel, and there's a few schools that when you mention them to someone else, they'll be like, "Oh yeah," like there's just a culture, there's a climate there that yeah. you instantly know from certain schools. You know what I mean? Yeah. Part of this is how are you being greeted? There is one school I go to where there's a CSM sitting in the little golf cart right out in front of the gate. Pretty big guy, uh, bigger than me. And he's, the eye contact isn't quite there. And he seems kind of pissed off all the time. And I noticed that when I walked by him and he kind of, he's not in front of the gate. It's a very small gate you walk into, mm-hmm. but he, his little cart is like right there. And it's, it's, you definitely notice the proximity issue in him really acting as a guard. I mean, that's kind of his job, but it's not this welcoming environment, you know? Yeah. So you have the guy and then you have the gate. And, uh, those two things by themselves, I think, are cues of danger. But that in comparison, there's another school I go to where you're greeted by um, a female CSM. And so females have a more prosodic voice. They have that sort of advantage over male voices when it comes to prosody and safety. And she's extremely sing-songy, extremely prosodic, very safe. And I see her giving hugs to pretty much like all the kids that walk in. It's really, I love watching her. She's amazing. And all the kids call her like their mom. And she she has so much love for all the kids. So that's a huge, it really is. But she is so amazing. And she's so just like the pure essence of like love. And, And she tells me all the time, I love these kids. I love them, I love them, I love them. And um, so that's a huge difference. So these kids and the kids that are going to the school I'm thinking about, they, I mean, all of them, have, they're all down the ladder. Um, so when they walk in and they're, and they're greeted by this CSM who is so prosodic and so warm and loving, um, that it's a much different experience. I agree. So, we, so the front, uh, so that, that's the basic idea. I'm not going to go too far into that. Yeah. But, you know, the front desk staff, um, how mm-hmm. about the, the drop-off line, like the parents that like drop off their kids in cars? That whole experience of oh, yeah. waiting through lines and dropping your kids off and how tense that is and the parents are getting you know upset and dropping down the ladder. The kids are picking up on those cues. The school does the school fence, the gates. Does it feel like a prison mm-hmm. or does it feel more like a wel- welcoming kind of atmosphere? Mm-hmm. You know, all those things. All those, these are cues of danger. Um, let's see. I have some of the same things you did. Um, one thing I added, and again, I I don't know if this is just me um, thinking about myself, but um, are are they getting to school on time or are they late? You know, how, how oh, does yeah. that feel? You know, are, are, you know, did they get their rollerblades on quick enough? Did they, <laughs> you know, were they able to make it on time? I, I feel like that will already set them up to, you know, either in a good way or a bad way to be at the top of the ladder or a little further down the ladder. I like the time thing. And you know that when they come in um, late, that either it's pretty much only one response that they're going to get from mm-hmm. the CSM or the front desk or the teacher, yeah. which is why you late. Yeah. Rather than I'm glad you made it today. You know, like, Welcome. yeah, exactly. yeah, you're here. You made it. Glad you're here. You're late. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, like, well, you know, like let's, let's do better yeah, next well, time. You know, or yeah. maybe there's a consequence for, it, I don't know, but you yeah. know, it's like when they come in, it's like, why are you late? Where were yeah. you? So they're, yeah, that's a whole nother cue yeah. of danger there. The anticipation of all of that. Exactly. Yeah. I put in, I don't know if this is an obvious one, but I, I, I put down about the other kids. So again, kind of like I was saying on the bus, you know, there's all these other other kids getting to where they're going, the noise level and, and the proximity of the other kids. Are they friend or foe? Are they, you know, you know, welcoming the kid, you know, me in onto campus or are they, you know, menacing and like just ready to pummel me? That's going to affect me either way. 
there's kids that are sizing you up. Definitely. And staff too, honestly. There, there's kids at certain schools um, that when you walk in, they're sizing you up. And that's actually throughout the day, they're sizing you up. But yeah, absolutely. It's not a very welcoming, it's not a cue of safety. It's not a cue of safety. It's really not. One thing I got is um, teachers or staff rushing around. So we have the person, hopefully there's someone greeting the kids on their way in. But then once you're in on campus, you know, teachers are trying to get copies done and principals are trying to get to where they're going and whatever, whatever. How many other staff besides the person who's hopefully greeting them at the at the gate, at the door, how many other staff are taking a moment to make some eye contact and, and make some connections with the kids? So usually what I see is teachers you know, running around trying to get the last minute things done before they have to start class. And there's no eye contact. There's no, you know, building a sense of safety. There's none of that. And also the rapid movements that, you know, walking quickly, mm -hmm. these are all mm -hmm. little cues of danger, those rapid movements um, and darting your head around or whatever they're doing. Yeah. To get ready. Like, you know, these are all cues of danger. All right. How about they're in school, they've survived the first class or two, and now they're going from class to another class or from class to recess. One thing I put down actually is, are there indoor or outdoor hallways? Um, I think what made me think of this is, again, we've kind of had some flaky weather lately, and sometimes it decides to rain and sometimes it doesn't. And I, I think that affects the kids. You know, are they going to be cold and wet as they're walking from one place to another? Or are they indoors or somewhat protected from the elements? Um, I think that'll affect their... Definitely. Their placement on the ladder someone said that being wet is a cue of danger who was that i forget who it was i heard it in a podcast um i'm trying i don't know i can't remember her name but it was in a podcast she was doing something about neuroplasticity i should know her name but i don't but she says that wetness is a cue of danger mm -hmm. and that sometimes she'll ask i think it's for clients are you wet are you hungry are you thirsty like it's just fundamental basics mm -hmm. of like how are you doing? Like just checking in with yourself. Yeah. Like, there's, there's no serious sort of like danger happening right now. This moment, you're not starving. You're not drenched in rain. Uh, and you're not like dying of thirst or whatever, but there's these fundamental levels of like danger. And I think, yeah, wetness is one of them. It's a cue yeah. of danger. Not being in a pool. That's different. <laughs> I think. I feel like that's, yeah, that's fun. That's, a whole... that's fun. Mercedes. Let's do a whole episode on being in the pool. I think with rollerblades. With <laughs> That's a weird image. <laughs> Hard to swim. Um, bells. The bells are crazy. And so here's one of the things that happens at one of the school sites I'm at the most often is as soon as I am right directly walking down the hallway, right directly in front of that bell, that's when it sounds. And it, it scares me. I'm down in my gut right away. Like I'm down in my stomach. Like, oh my gosh, it's so loud. It's right in my ear. And it's just, it's really unpleasant. And now there are some nice new fancy schools that have those like tones or oh, yeah? different voices. We have, um, there was some construction at one of the schools that I work at. And um, so now we have a new building. And the new building, when the fire alarm goes off, it's this pleasant female voice that says, really? please evacuate the building. Yeah. As opposed to the, wah, wah, you know, the, oh, cool. the just really awful, awful sounding alarm bells so i think that's for me is another nice. big one that that will help the kids get not help but yeah. force the kids down yeah, the ladder yeah, yeah, or yeah. up is is the different sounds of the bells the volume the tone of the bells how close they are to them when they ring bells are a big deal there's i've seen a couple teachers that will put 
like paper or cardboard over the speaker to to deaden the noise a little bit because it, it's some these they, they can get so loud and really mm-hmm. intrusive. It's harsh. It's harsh yeah. and it's abrupt. It's jarring. Yeah. And it's it's scary. And again, if we're going back to the vagal break discussion, yeah. Kids who don't have a strong vagal break, it's going to freak them out and keep them down the ladder. Hey, well, let me, let me add to that. So the bell's to cue that it's time to go to the next class, right? Mm-hmm. But there's the anticipation of getting out of class and then this harsh noise of the bell. And mm-hmm. now kids are in this like, free-for-all of like running out of the classroom. If they're like in high school, there's, you don't get mm-hmm. in lines anymore. So there's this... All of this is like cues of danger, you know what I mean? Like there's, you know, everyone piling into like the the doorway together, the proximity Uh issue, going Uh out into the hallway or the corridor and the voices, the the, um, crowd is a crowd of kids Uh of of, of high schoolers at least. And it's just a sort of, I mean, everyone knows where they're going, but it's it's a crowd. It's it's very, very loud. So all of this is like cues of danger, obviously. Oh, here's a big one. Uh, Being forced into lines. Uh Mm-hmm. I know, I know this is one of your soapbox issues. I hate this. I, I know, I know <laughs> lines are important, but there's a, I'm seeing a variety of, of lines of like how kids are being put into lines. And some of them, there's putting their hands behind their back, which means that we're limiting their ability to, if they're in, if they're down the ladder and now we're forcing their body into a certain posture mm-hmm. or commanding it. This is not safe. So I've seen lines where kids are putting their hands on the backs of the kid in front of them. This is not safe. This is not welcome mm-hmm. touch. Um, none of this is good. These are all major cues of danger, in my opinion. And when the teachers are doing this, they're not they're not gently asking them. They're commanding right. them. The, <laughs> right. Their the, commands, the, the voice drops down to a monotone, very serious, like get in line kind of thing. Um, and the teachers are like dead serious about the line not about moving forward but about you have to be in the line perfectly and waiting until the line is perfect before going out to like recess or something like that and making kids wait to go out to recess and and, you know burn off their energy and go back up the ladder and and discharge some of that energy Mm -hmm. the line thing is huge so there's a school that i go to very often and there's a certain corridor where most of the teachers are doing this forced line super anxiety kind of lots of danger cues thing they don't realize it but all of them are doing it except for one teacher and he just basically says all right let's go and the kids are fine they just Mm -hmm. go to the next period or they'll (laughs) go to recess they're not forced into a line and there are zero issues i and and the teacher is very prosodic he's smiling he's engaging he always says hello to me i don't even know the guy but he always says hello to me so he but you can see that there's a teacher who's in a safe and social state yeah. And his class is fine. There's no forced line stuff going on, you know? Agreed. And the line thing is a, it's a big trigger for me. Like why yeah. can't what why? Why why is this such a big deal? Why are the I know we have to be in lines, fine. I don't think you have to be actually, but I know for younger kids the line thing is important. I'm fine, I get that. But why can't they hop to class? Why can't they skip <laughs> or do a silly dance? Like that's what kids do really really well. And it's a great way to discharge that like yeah. energy of being down the ladder and have fun and build uh, social engagement, build the capacity of the vagal break. Why do they have to like march and you know in a in a forced <laughs> position? Why can't they jump? I think I think this is when we get into the area of of talking about who's 
whose needs does this action meet? Right. Oh, man. Because it's not meeting the needs of the kids. It's meeting the needs of the adults. And for whatever reason, the adults need the kids to walk in a perfectly straight line and march to a rhythm. I don't know. I don't know. I think that, well, and I, I, I think that when teachers are, when they're down the ladder, that having things be controlled becomes extremely important. When I'm anxious or stressed out or pissed off or whatever, that if I can get a group of kids in single file, I know where they all are. I can count them. I know how they're behaving. That brings me a sense of safety. You know what I mean? Being able to control and predict, yeah, I think is a sense of safety rather than let's hop to our next class or hop to recess or do a silly dance. Or if you don't want to walk along with me, the teacher and I'll joke with you or whatever. When you're down the ladder though, you know, being able to be in tune, I think it becomes a lot more difficult. That's why that the, the example I shared with the teacher who is in his social engagement system, he doesn't have this issue. He's not looking for control. He's looking for getting to the next place with his students safely. The you know. actual goal. Yeah, the actual goal of getting from point A to point B, not doing it my way exactly yeah. because I said so. Yeah. So uh, yeah. teachers, I, I know, I'm know i not a teacher. I'll grant him that. Maybe I'm talking out my butt. Fine. <laughs> but if but if, I, I, would, I would invite teachers to recognize where are you at on the polyvagal ladder? If you're down the ladder, is that this, this has to be influencing your decision-making. So ask yourself, if is your line formation routine and regimen, is this about your need to feel safe and in control, or is it about what's best for the kids and getting to the next place? Mm-hmm. It's, hard, it's hard for me to see. I, I have a hard time with that. I'm surprised you didn't bring up the actual lines painted on the ground. Oh. <laughs> How close can we get a school to look like a prison? <laughs> They're locked in. Mercedes, you're getting me going here. In, li- in literal gates. Literal. Literally locked in. Yeah. I have seen classrooms that are locked. I don't think they're supposed to be. Classrooms with locked doors, gates that are locked. And I know that's a safety thing. I get that. But just to realize what we're building here, that they're, 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 they can't escape. They are trapped in. They're locked in. And now we're painting. This is the line you're supposed to walk on. This is a prison environment. I know it's not supposed to be, but these are all cues of danger that I, I really think that if, if you're working in school systems, you really should be aware of. And it's not about the kids at this point, I don't think. I want to hear I want to hear from the teachers and the, and the school administrators on this issue. So shout out to the school staff out there listening. I'd love to hear what you guys have to say about this because I agree with Justin on on this stuff. Not, not quite as passionately as Justin, but I do agree with him. <laughs> you brought it up. Um, I did. <laughs> Just my surprise that you didn't bring it up. But I didn't think of it. I'm glad you, know, you did. What are, what are the alternatives? Because I, I do understand that we do need a sense of safety for the kids. And I do understand that we need a sense of, of order as opposed to chaos in the school, especially when we have, you know, 20 different classrooms going to four different locations all at the same time, different age groups, different, you know, abilities, whatever. But there, there has to be a different way other than like – prison system style i think so. i no, think so. I no think offense so. intended no but that's i think if we're being really objective that's kind of what's being built in the whole cafeteria thing and the assigned seating and it really looks mm-hmm. it's very much like a prison what you know like the i've worked at a couple of juvenile halls in the ranch that i described earlier the non-lockdown facility it's kind of the same thing which is mm-hmm. kind of scary honestly 
But you mentioned this to me a while ago, I don't know, maybe six months ago or a year ago. And at first I was like, no, this guy's crazy. But you're right. <laughs> you're not crazy. This, not. It, it literally is <laughs> not about this. Um, <laughs> it literally is like a prison, excuse me, a prison. And I've, when the kids start to say that, that's what breaks my heart. Cause I've had kids after yeah. that, after this discussion that we had, you know, tell me it, it feels like a prison, Miss Mercedes. Like it feels like yeah. you guys are just trying to lock us up. And that is horrifying to me. I've heard the same thing too. Yeah. I've heard the same thing too. Transitioning between classes is obviously a big one here. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'll hear schools play music and what they'll do is they'll play popular music, which has an up-tempo, like a poor like poppy kind of music um, or almost kind of rap, but more like appropriate rap, you know, like there's not like swear words and stuff in it, right. which is great for the kids, but we have to realize that certain tones or deep sounds are going to send them down the polyvagal ladder and out of safe and social engagement. And most kids can handle it with their with a strong vagal break, but a lot of kids, I, especially the ones we work with, when they get those cues of danger that beat, um, they're going to drop down the ladder or it'll keep them down the ladder. The other thing is, as they're transitioning from class to class, especially in high school, how many safe adults are there on their path to the next class? And I see a couple, more like a principal here and there, or a vice principal, or a, what do they call them? Um, assistant principals, that's what they're called? Mm-hmm. It depends on the district. Assistant principal okay. somewhere, vice principal. I've always called them vice principal. All right. So, you know, but it's more of like standing guard kind of thing. And it's this cue of I'm being monitored, I'm being evaluated, my behavior is being evaluated. And it is, but these are all cues of danger rather than I hope, my hope is that these principals and vice principals or whoever that are on this path of transition between classes are encouraging and smiling and positive, which I think is great. If you can have more adults along that path, that are in a safe and social state, I think it'll be, I think it'll be a huge boost to the school and it makes, it makes the transition a lot safer rather than this. Like if you ever, I I don't know about you, but I I walk, I I go to high schools pretty frequently. So I'm, I hate being in the crowd of kids. It's awful. It is. How do we ever do that? It like it legit, like it completely takes me back to being like 14 years old. Yeah. And the first time that I was working in a high school and I, I, you know, I got caught in the hallways, I had like a panic attack almost. Like I just wanted to run totally. down the ladder. It's, it's so way down. scary. There's a gajillion people and they're all crushed against you. It's, mm-mm. That's the other thing is between classes is the other kids and, you know, being mean mugged or, um, mm-hmm. being sized up and down, um, and I honestly, I'm really, I'm always worried about girls being, um, God knows what, from their male peers. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's, I don't know if that's, um, a, you know, like a, I don't know what it, what's the word is lopsided way of looking at things, but okay. that that I don't know. I'm, I'm always kind of aware of that. I think it's real though. I really, I think you know, it, especially yeah. with all the stuff that has come out recently in the last year or two about the Me Too movement and all that. You know, we're becoming aware of how much more rampant that is than anyone thought it was. And high schoolers are good. High schoolers are terrible, terrible people. And for the record, I love working with high school age kids, Yeah. but they are awful, awful people. And, <laughs> and they're great at getting away with stuff. They and really so what are. I'm saying is, you know, like they can sneak in a comment or a look or whatever other thing 
here and there without anybody knowing. Yeah. And the poor girls are walking down these hallways just expecting it, knowing it's coming. Yeah, and totally. And really not being able to do very much about it because, you know, yeah, they might not tell. And if they do tell, the adults won't help them. Or if they do help them, then they'll get called a snitch or, you know, there's just a whole lot of the things snitch that go along with that. That's a big, the snitch thing's a big deal in school. Yeah. Yeah, so um, signals from peers, um, sexually sort of aggressive signals, or even just you know being checked out up and down. Um, mm-hmm. pe- girls fight constantly too. That was the other thing that shocked me was the the female to female fighting yeah. frequency. There's a lot of Fs there. Um, that was like whoa, like girls fight this much. That really kind of I had no idea. That, that was not yeah. the way I, I grew up at all. But girls I guess are was, worse. Yeah. It kind of seems like it. Boys, no, really. Boys are just more, um, what's the word? I guess outward about it. It's more noticeable because it's it's bigger as far as like physically, like from a distance, you can see when boys are getting into it compared to when girls are getting into it. Girls are sneaky and manipulative and you'll never know what's happening unless you're right in the middle of it. And speaking as a girl, girls are rough. They really are. They made a whole movie about it. It's called Mean Girls. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right. Let's move on to after school. Very similar to before school, I think. Mm-hmm. But one thing that you and I experienced that really stuck with me was that we did this little um, experiment after school at a school. And we kind of hung out in the crowd of kids as they left their classes. And it was this absolute stampede of children right Mm -hmm. running from class largely unsupervised up until they got to Mm -hmm. the gates and then there was a principal there or actually a couple of them a couple of uh, adults there so what i had noticed from that was obviously the noise obviously the proximity issues kids banging into each other uh kids running while messing around with their backpacks um so all sorts of proximity and sound issues um, but for the most part, what I noticed was in the first wave of kids to leave, they were all pretty safe and social. Like they could handle it. They were smiling. They were, you know, saying goodbye to their friends and hugging and stuff. But then what I noticed was after that, as we were walking through the school back to our offices or office, that there were other kids who were just kind of hanging around and they were not nearly as safe and social. These were kids who were more down the ladder, flat affect. Um, we're just kind of meandering. They didn't really have anywhere else to go. Yeah, the there was stragglers. No, yeah, there was no one waiting for them to pick them up. These are probably kids who are walking home and may not be going to home to a great environment. But that's that's what really shook me was to to see the kids who were just kind of there. It was weird because like kids want to leave school. They are in a rush to leave school. We saw it. But are they? And this goes back to the point again, like. And I think this is a much bigger issue than what we're specifically talking about right now. I think sometimes, though, school is the safer place. Oh, totally. For kids, yeah, right. You know, and so for these stragglers, the kids that are, they don't have immediately a ride to take them home or they don't get on a bus right away to get home. The ones that are kind of left behind, and I know that sounds sad. I'm meaning for it to sound sad. Yeah. That's, you know, maybe it's a choice and maybe it's not. But either way, obviously, school is a safer place for them. Because here they're going to be taken care of and here they can be protected to a certain extent. And who knows what they're going to go out and face when they go home. I don't disagree with you. but So that, that's why it shook me is because the majority of the kids were excited to leave. Mm-hmm. And I, I got the sense they had somewhere to go or someone that was waiting for them. And then there was the other kids that they were not excited to leave. They were just kind of there and were taking their sweet time 
in leaving, you know? And yeah. that, that school probably may have been a safer. I mean, this, I mean, we have no idea, but we, we kind of also right. know. And the couple of the kids I recognized and have more behavioral issues and um, I know come from environments that aren't the best. So that just kind of, I don't know, there was enough there for me to be like, oh, there's something different here. There's like a different wave of kids that are leaving. And I, I'm actually, I'm honestly really curious from teachers that might be listening if they see this or if this was just like our, me picking it up and you picking it up. Yeah. All right. So on, on the exit out of school, is it a free for all or is it a structure? Is there some sort of structure? Are, and again, are there adults along the way flagging a kid down here and there and saying, Hey, how was your day? And I'm so, you know, I can't wait to see you tomorrow. Are, are they getting those kind of cues or is it just an adult watching them leave and making sure everyone's safe, which is fine, but it's not a safety cue for the actual child, you know? I, I really wonder, like, what is, like, as you mentioned, like, the school might be the better uh, or the safer environment. So what is it that these kids are leaving? What are they leaving and what are they going to? And a lot of these kids, again, they're going to walk past the homeless people, past the stray dogs, the garbage, um, the needles. Like, they're going to walk past all this stuff. Or they have to deal with other kids who are walking home. And that's constantly an issue, constantly a danger threat. There are kids that are hanging out, waiting for that certain kid to come out of class. It's all this actual danger. And the buildup of danger and like, am I going to be able to get home safely? Is that person waiting for me? Like, it's all this stuff. And just build, I think it just builds up and builds up, you know? Mm-hmm. And again, the, the bus. And the rollerblades. And the rollerblades. But yeah, the bus, the bus, the bus. <laughs> huge, huge issue. So it's kind of the same thing. I, I think for parents who are listening, when you pick up your kids, what cues are you giving them? Are you safe and social? Are you happy to see your kids? Are mm-hmm. you smiling? Are you warm? Are you giving them a hug? Are you welcoming them into your car? Are you asking them? Not just how was your day, but like specifically what did you learn today or what was the best part of your day? What did you do at recess? Those specific, like I'm actually interested in sort of things. Those are, those are cues of safety that my dad or my dad or my mom is interested in loving and they're, I feel accepted. I feel like I'm part of something rather than how was your day today? Fine. And there's just something about that that's a disconnect, I think. Yeah. It's just an automatic response. Safety, safety, safety. Like, I know there's a level of, are the kids safe in school and we have to supervise it? I get that. But I'm talking about cues of safety, not just are they actually safe. And I think for staff of schools, are they actually safe, safe means are they leaving school intact? You know what I mean? But inside, they may not be as safe as we are hoping they are. So schools, of course, are concerned about are they actually safe and are they going home, you know, with their parent or whoever? Very important. I get that. But we're talking about cues of safety. The neuroception of safety. Yes. And that only comes from people who are in a safe and social state who are giving that off, not just monitoring the kids, but actually actively engaging with and helping them co-regulate by being a safe and social mammal for them. Yes. Students, uh, they need to arrive in a safe place, obviously. They need to be welcomed. I think I think it's very important to be welcomed. Like, they're going from homes that may not be very safe. So we want to bring them into an environment where they are welcomed. You're a part of our thing that we have going here. You know what I mean? And we want to welcome them into an environment full of safe mammals ideally you know safe nervous systems and that only comes from adults who are in a safe and social state and obviously of course not just what are you doing as the principal or as a teacher or as a csm what's the environment like is the environment welcoming 
I, I agree. I think the biggest point that you made right now is, is the awareness of it. So we're aware of the lines that are painted on the ground and we're aware of the gates that lock the kids in for safety into the school. And so what can we do as the staff, as the, as the grownups on campus, what can we do to counteract some of the kind of negativity that those images and, and cues kind of give to us? What can we do to counteract that? And so making sure that we have the eye crinkles and the prosody and, you know, making sure that we're making connections with these kids on real connections, even if it's a two second thing that, that makes a difference. Absolutely. I like the idea of what can we do to counter it? And I think you did, you gave great examples, but something I do in therapy because we're in the schools. So as we're mm-hmm. doing therapy with those bells go off or the announcement kicks in and the, and the pledge of allegiance and all that stuff, you know, in therapy. So we have, to, so rather than trying to talk over it, because mm-hmm. I, I know I can't listen to my student and tune out the sounds. I can't, I can't do that. Yeah. So, I can't. yeah. So I, what I do is to counter it rather than trying to talk over it, I'll counter it and I'll say, you know, sorry about that noise. We'll just pause for a minute, let them go through the thing and, and then we'll continue. Mm-hmm. And the student always says like, of course it's fine. Or we kind of laugh it off. But what that does is I think it allows us to kind of discharge the the energy of like going down the ladder a little bit because of the jarring of those sounds and the irritation of not being able to hear each other. So we, we go down the ladder a little bit and then being able to laugh it off, I think is a way to release the energy. So being able to counter it by being aware of it and then just commenting on it, I think could be a really easy way for teachers or therapists in the school system or whoever. Make, make a joke yeah. out of it. You know what I mean? Well, and then you're maintaining the, the connection in that. Yeah, exactly. So there's a, there's a, you know, a step down the, the ladder and then real quick back right, right back up again. And that's going to build the vagal break. Or if you have the lines, can you, can you do a, a silly dance on the lines? Like make the best of it. <laughs> all right, yeah. all right. And I think kids will be okay with like our, our challenge is to be on the lines, but I want to see how silly of a walk you can do. And the rules are we, we're not allowed to like break into someone else's zone of space. Like I don't, it seems like there's some really fun ways to do that there's, with kids. Yeah, there's lots of things. Let's walk sideways today. Let's take the tiniest steps we can. Let's take the biggest steps we can. That's perfect. And it brings them more attuned with their body, which is going to mm-hmm. help discharge the energy. That was fantastic. Let's do that hey. tomorrow at work. Can we make, take some big steps together? <laughs> I, I'm going to ask the listen, our dear listeners for a favor. If you have a favor, you can ask. I, I only like to ask one favor. Actually, we already did. We already asked a favor, which was if, if you're in the school system and you disagree or agree, we would love to hear it if we're totally off our rocker and we don't get it because we're not teachers fine i'll let you vent at me through an email go ahead or to mercedes did you, you didn't give your email i did not all right so that you can you can email me justin lmft at gmail.com and you can email mercedes at mercedes lmft at gmail.com email one of us probably mercedes to vent because you're upset at her not me um <laughs> she would love to get those first emails of I a principal who's just i like, would love that yeah on my first on my first episode of the Polyvagal podcast. What? To get those angry emails about like you don't know what you're talking about. You're not a Absolutely. teacher. Yeah. I'm open to hearing it, you know, because again, like you said, I'm not a teacher. I wanna hear I, I wanna hear what's up. I wanna hear what's going on. All right. So we invite you to that's our that's our request is email us and let us or if you're a parent, I would love to hear from parents too. Anybody. Yes. Anybody at this point. If you heard this podcast. We're lonely, just hit us up. <laughs> That's our request. Yikes. (laughs) Thank you uh, so much for... Oh, uh, Mercedes, any final thoughts? No. I am excited to be, hopefully, 
part of this podcast now. This I think I, I loved having you on. I, I appreciate you being here and I, I'm looking you. forward to the next one. So dear listener, thank you so much for listening. I hope this has brought you some value. If you have a question or a rant or event about anything, Mercedes or I would love to hear it and possibly address it in a future episode. I've made it a habit of starting to blog about these questions that I'm getting here and there. Um, so that might pop up in my blog as well. Feel free to contact myself or Mercedes. Oh, I said that wrong. Feel free to contact Mercedes or myself. You have to speak. That's grammatically it's correct. Proper you grammar. have to speak gooder, especially when teachers are listening. You have to speak gooder. So Mercedes gooder, LMFT, gooder. <laughs> Mercedes LMFT at gmail.com and Justin LMFT at gmail.com. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Mercedes. Thank you, guys. Thank you.